1: This is the CHGO Cubs podcast presented by PointsBet. Use code CHGO when you sign up to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan. We are coming to you in the early evening of Sunday, August 28th. And, Brendan, we have a three-game series in Milwaukee to go over and review the Cubs winning the first one on Friday, but they drop two straight to the Brewers to lose this series. They do win the season series with the Brewers though, so uh, you know I'm not sure what consolation that is, uh, as the Cubs are not competing for a playoff spot. But it's it's always nice to mess with whatever the Brewers are trying to do.
0: Absolutely, and it's it's weird because this is the last series until when, that we record until September. So we're only four weeks away from the season ending, Corey. We have so much more that we need to see before the season ends, like the bullpen stuff and some of the positional stuff. But it feels weird because whenever I see that calendar switch, I'm looking at the schedule right now, seeing September 1st, is like, oh man, like this is going to be over before you know it.
1: Yeah, we are rapidly heading toward the end of the year, getting our, our final evaluations on a lot of players. So we we have plenty to talk about from this series. We've got... Another Justin Steele gem that we saw on Friday. We've got Nico Horner doing Nico Horner things all over the diamond. Brendan, I'm. Yes, I, do, do you want to talk about that? Only if you want to.
0: The entire, the entire oh, time. Oh, okay. You do want to talk yeah. about Nico Horner? Yeah, okay. I do. Yeah. We can. I guess. Thanks, thanks for asking. By yeah. Way. No,
1: I just wanted to check. I appreciate that. Uh, Say a Suzuki uh, had some nice games this weekend. Want to take a look at some of the adjustments he continues to make, um, and how you know his kind of numbers continue to fluctuate. But as we leave this weekend here after a good game on Sunday, his numbers in a, in a pretty solid place for a. Uh, rookie playing in the major leagues for the first time. Ian Happ uh, continuing to put up a big season. We'll talk about that. And we have a couple of new faces. That our guy Ryan Herrera, as we're recording this at around five thirty on Sunday in Chicago, uh, our guy Ryan Herrera reporting that there were some new faces in the Cubs clubhouse post game as the Cubs get ready to go to Toronto. A couple players not going to be joining the Cubs due to their vaccination status, so the Cubs are able to replace those guys as they hit the restricted list. Uh, so we will talk about who those new faces seem to be. Uh, but Brendan, let's let's go through this series uh, real quick. Oh, and I also forgot to mention we got a a loose connection, I suppose, to Shohei Otani and the Cubs as we were all minding our business on a Sunday afternoon that uh, certainly... <laughs> sent some of us into a bit of a tizzy, right? Uh, I haven't been able to stop all thinking in. about it since. I'm all in. That's all I think about right now is, is right. Uh, Shohei Otani right. with Seiya. Uh, yeah. So we'll talk about that too. But let, let's get through these, uh, you know, just look back at these games real quick, set the table. Okay. On Friday, it was a 4-3 to three Cubs win. The Cubs scoring two runs in the 10th inning. The Brewers only scoring one after tying the game in the bottom of the ninth. So uh, by my math, Brendan, that is a Cubs win by a run in extra innings. It is. Justin it is. Steele, five and a third, four hits, one run, four walks. So a little high on the walk total and six strikeouts. He did exit this game with a little bit of lower back tightness. Uh, doesn't seem to be a particularly big deal, uh, but did have him exit this game early uh with 88 pitches but once again justin Steele was really good working around those walks his season era 3.18 so we'll touch we on work. him a little bit uh nice work out of the bullpen from eric yeoman continuing to have a nice start here in 2022 one and two thirds no hits no runs no walks and two strikeouts Brandon Hughes does get a blown save in this one, but he strikes out three, kind of one of those. He had a really nice uh, clean inning, and then Ross sent him back out to face Rowdy Telez. Matchup-wise, it made sense but, uh, you know, maybe asking a little too much from Brandon Hughes there, uh, so that one doesn't work. But Manny Rodriguez picks up the save. He is back. He is pumping gas, uh, gives up two hits, but he gets a really nice double play turned by Nick Madrigal, a very heads-up play to tag Rowdy Tellez, uh in the base path and then throw the ball to first base to secure the W. The Cubs getting their runs in this one. The Cubs, two hits in this game. Brendan, both of them home runs by Ian Happ. And that's that. all that they needed. Uh, that is uh, a very interesting way to win a game. But again, Ian Happ continuing to do really nice work. Uh, he has 15 on the season, does Ian Happ. On Saturday, it was a 7 to nothing loss. Drew Smiley was really good, again, in this one. Six innings, five hits, no runs, one walk, and two strikeouts. The bullpen behind him, Rowan Wick and Michael Rucker, not good. Uh, It's an interesting. It's one of those interesting games, right? Because you look at Drew Smiley throwing six shutout innings. Somehow the Cubs lost seven to nothing, right? It's uh, we can yada yada over that part. Drew Smiley was great. Yada yada. The Cubs lost seven to nothing. Uh, Not much to write home about on the offensive front, but I don't think we'll end up talking about him in depth because we have too much else to discuss. But. Once again, I think there's uh, some teams heading towards the playoffs here that are kicking themselves for not adding Drew Smiley to their pitching staff. Uh, Since he came back right around the trade deadline, he has been, uh, you know, one of the better pitchers in the league, I think. You know, he's not going super deep into games, but he just is not giving up runs. So an interesting thing there. And then on Sunday, the Cubs losing this one 9-7 to finish off the series in Milwaukee. The Cubs did lead this game 2 to nothing, but it went off the rails from there. Uh, Adrian Sampson, three and a third, five hits, one run, one walk, and two strikeouts. So uh, a short outing there, uh, only 61 pitches, kind of an aggressive pull from David Ross that did not work. Uh, Sean, Sean Newcomb came in and gave up six runs, so that one... Uh, you know, not David Ross's finest chess maneuver, uh, but, uh, you know, a a decent three and a third for Adrian Sampson. We talked about uh, the kind of value of that depth at the back of the rotation with him and Drew Smiley in our last episode. So uh, another good showing from Sampson. And actually, because Sampson only goes three and a third, the Cubs are able to add uh, one of the arms that we'll talk about later in the podcast. Had he gone four or more, they would not have so some interesting rules there uh, dealing with the trip to Toronto the restricted list things like that um so that is how that goes the cubs getting their seven runs on sunday a nico horner rbi single a seiya suzuki rbi single that one was with two strikes and two outs going the opposite way so a nice piece of hitting by seiya and then in the fifth nico horner his eighth home run of the season In the seventh, Jan Gomes uh, with an RBI on a sack fly. And then in the ninth, Franmil Reyes hitting another home run for the Cubs. This one, I think, went 396 feet. It was a blast. Uh, His 12th total on the year, of course, not all with the Cubs, but that would not be enough. The Brewers winning this one by two. Uh, So, Brendan, I I do want to start with Nico because in addition to the RBI on the hit and then the home run, some stellar plays again, Uh, both of the plays today coming in the shift on the right side. And we did hear a little bit from Jed Hoyer uh, about the potential maybe of a Nico Horner extension. So coming off a game where he homers, you know, you and I have talked endlessly about his value and what he's done this season, but specifically you kind of see it all display on Sunday. And then you hear a couple days ago, these quotes from Jed, I I assume that locking up Nico Horner long-term is something that you would be interested in.
0: I think so, Corey. But granted, when we were talking about this a few weeks ago, we, we wanted to see Nico go through the entire season. We're getting to the point where the season's basically over, and whatever happens in September, you can weigh that against any negotiations. But it caused a lot of discussion on Twitter throughout the weekend, and I think a lot of fair discussion of, one, whether to extend Nico and what that might even look like. Just as as a preface and we'll get into it, but it'd be nice to extend someone. I think that's something most fans can agree upon given the uncertainty with the previous core of players. Just as a generality, extend someone might give the fan base a boost of confidence for the future. For me, Nico, one of his best traits is that beyond the field. I I think over the course of his career, hearing coaches talk about him, hearing Joe Madden talk about Nico when he debuted with the Cubs, seeing what David Ross has said about Nico throughout the years, what Ian Happ has said about him, what Wilson Contreras has said about Nico. He screams leader. He screams stability. And I want that in this environment. And I feel as if that was a a hallmark of that 2015-2016 group. They had that type of... Stable leadership in the manager with David Ross and some older veterans, including, you know, John Lester and, and Ben Zobris, professionals. Nico is that. He is that by every single standard. So I'm glad we're talking about this. The fact that we get to talk about Nico Extension in a realistic manner, talking about the numbers and what that can provide to the team, makes me really happy. And I think it will be an exciting point of discussion throughout the offseason.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would love to see that. And yeah, I mean, you just, you know, you you read this stuff from Jed and you you hear how everybody seems to talk about him. Um, and he just has those leadership qualities, those kind of intangible things that you can't teach. And, you know, we're obviously seeing him blossom into the player that you would have dreamed he'd become. Um, so I think now is, is a good time to do that. It, it also just feels like a good... Um, you know, the type of move that fits the trajectory, right? You're kind of building towards this next great Cubs team, as Jed always says, and locking up someone like Nico, especially with the way that he's been playing and the attitude that he seems to have. It feels like a good representation of where you want things to go and and kind of one of those first, call it dominoes, to to building that team. How do you value... Those types of intangibles.
0: I think there's always a dichotomy between those who like statistics and the strict WRC plus the output versus the intangibles that we that we hear about. How how do you value that? For for me, I of course I kind of go towards the numbers and the stats, but I, I really value those types of personality traits because my thinking has always been those personality traits that Nico has contributes to the likelihood of better output of better results to uh, adapt faster to adjust in a really quick manner and come up in high stress high leverage moments such as that in the playoffs so for me I, I see on social media at times a lot of people who are really stat-heavy, which is awesome. But at the same time, I do wonder, you know, are, are we valuing Nico's personality and leadership appropriately? Because I get the sense that we're not. I, th- this is a unique individual, Corey. He screams... Like, captain, I keep saying this, but I, I don't remember a Cubs having a Cubs team having a player like Nico. And that even includes guys, like, it's not a dig whatsoever, but it includes guys who have been leaders on this team for years, including, like, Rizzo. I, Rizzo is very different than Nico in this respect. Uh, I don't remember ever seeing a young player like Nico who, who demands that type of respect from coaches and players and, and former coaches and teammates.
1: Yeah, I think you certainly it's hard to value right because i think we're you know we're not in the clubhouse and it's it's difficult to put uh you know call it like a monetary value on guys that have that sort of leadership mentality or you know even just go about things in a way that you want other players to emulate right and i think nico's in in a good position in that regard because of course he was drafted by the cubs came up with the cubs played through their system and, you know, now is getting a chance to star at the major league level, I think that's something that you want perhaps as a roadmap for a lot of guys, right? And, you know, he appears to be doing it the right way um, and, you know, getting rave reviews from all of the coaches and, and, and people that are around him, you know, not just for his play on the field. Um, I think, you know, you look back, though, at the most recent Cubs' great team, which was 2016 when they won the World Series. World Series, yeah. Um, You know, won 103 games in the regular season, setting defensive records, starting staff records, just all sorts of things that they were really, really good at. You know, there were always little pieces that kind of told you about what was going on in the clubhouse, and you know, we heard from Carl Edwards recently when the Cubs played the Nationals, uh, who of which Carl is a member now. And, you know, he talked about how that team was very close off the field and it was like a brotherhood and and things like Mm -hmm. that. And, you know, I I think that it's always good when, you know, the players get along, right? Like, and are friends or things like that. But I I think when you hear that stuff from Carl, I think, you know, it it, it sort of implies more than just being able to go get dinner together, like that they were a, as he said, a, a brotherhood that were committed toward a shared goal. Right. And you are kind of experiencing that together. And there were so many leaders on that team, right? David Ross, of course, looked at as a huge figure on that team. Um, You know, it's rare that a, a backup catcher would get carried off the field after a team wins the World Series for the first time in 108 years, but that was the case with David Ross, which speaks to his leadership, and then, of course, the fact that he ends up getting named the manager of the same team. Uh, John Lester... You know, is always talked about as someone that was mentoring guys, and him and Lackey, their presence and their veteran leadership and their experience winning, yeah. and how that was. But you valued. heard Hendricks talk about those guys. That
0: Hendrix leaned on the day-to-day professionalism and the routine right. of Arietta and Lester right. and Lackey,
1: and I and I think uh, it might have even been Mike Napoli talking about the Cubs, or his time with the Red Sox, and just, you know, talking about the value of guys that have won and that have been there, and you know, being able to follow that lead when you're in a clubhouse that hasn't experienced that. But even beyond that, you know, we've talked a bunch about the role that Pedro Strope played with someone like Javi Baez and kind of, yeah. you know, calming him down in big moments. We saw it this year with Wilson Contreras and Christopher Morel. So I'm getting, you know, deep in the weeds on how, you know, players look are looked at as leaders and mentorship and things like that. But it's, it's all to answer your question that I do think that stuff is really important. And when you're looking at where the Cubs are, they've obviously traded away a lot of guys that maybe at different times, you would have assumed they would be those players, right? I think a lot mm-hmm. of us assumed that Anthony Rizzo would be 45 years old, playing first base for the Cubs and just, you know, being that leader for the team for, you know, the next three decades or something. Um, not the case. And when you have a younger team and you've turned over the roster so much, you do look for those types of players and those types of personalities. And I think Nico has shown that not only is he growing as a player, but he's ready to take on that role, you know? And I yeah. so I do think that's that's valuable. And I do think that Jed is going to want players like that in this clubhouse to kind of usher in whatever this next era looks like. Yeah.
0: So just I'm going to read three quotes here. Going back from his debut a couple of years ago, more than a couple years ago now, from Joe Madden, from David Ross, and then what Jed Hoyer recently said a few days ago in context of his negotiations. But going back to Nico's debut in San Diego, uh, when Javi Bias hurt his thumb, Nico comes up, they're in a pennant chase, and this is what Joe Madden said about him. Quote, Nico's very adult. First of all, he's very smart, a very bright kid. And then he's really mature beyond his years. Gosh, it's like really talking to guys who have played for the last 10 years in the major leagues. End quote. And then you hear about what David Ross has said. I mean, so many quotes about Nico by David Ross. But one that I think kind of... uh, caught my eye was recently, about a few months ago, he said, quote, Nico is very valuable here with his work ethic, the standard he sets for everybody. And he continues to grow in his leadership ability, And quote. And he is the manager, Ross, I get that. But he's also someone who took up that leadership role. So I do value Ross's perception when he uses the actual word leader. I think that should stand out uh, to to many people. And then this is what Jed Hoyer said on Thursday about Nico to the media in in context of negotiations. Before he talked about negotiations, Jed said, quote, from an offensive standpoint, candidly, Nico's probably very much along the lines of where we expected. We thought he was going to be a high average hitter. He grinds every at bat. He's exactly the kind of guy you don't want to play against. Awesome having him on our side. Defensively, honestly, he's really exceeded our expectations at shortstop. I think we always knew he could do it. I think the question was whether he could do it sort of at an above average level. And he's made it really clear that he can kudos to him and besides the offensive and defensive part he's a great teammate plays hard every day so there's just so much to like about him as a player end quote so the media followed up to Jed when he was talking about Nico and Jed was asked just about extensions and spending money and basically the media asked him about Nico and extension specifically and Jed said, just to paraphrase, that's without question about considering extending Nico this offseason. And it, it appears as if that's a realistic possibility. And then of course Nico is asked about wanting to stay in Chicago. And Nico says, quote, I love being here. And I think being from here from the rebuild to the next great team or whatever you want to call it would be one of the coolest things you can do in a career. It'd be incredibly satisfying. I love Chicago. End quote. So this has legs, right? And you're seeing coaches talk about Nico's ability to adapt, to shortstop, to improve offensively. We've heard about some of his offseason routines from his exercise resume to working with former Cubs hitting coach Chris Faleka and swing changes and and all of that. He's kind of checking those uh, those boxes that suggest stability and reliability. I think Jed values that. I think Nico, of course, wants to stay here. And the risk we can get to the, maybe some of the numbers. The risk in extending Nico at this point seems minimal. If, for example, he is ex- extended for seventy million over six years, you know the annual average value of that is that of like a slightly above league, uh, slightly below league average player on the free agent market. If you look at like dollars per war, so the risk is minimal. And if he does fizzle out, which happens in several instances in years past you can still perhaps move that contract they did that with Starlin castro for example i the risk is so low core. Yeah. i see so much to gain in this in this type of example
1: i i also just think you know the risk of him fizzling out seems very low um because
0: such a good defender and he has the high hit tool right right
1: so you know obviously this year he has shown basically exactly what you always wanted, right? The ability to slug a little bit more. And there was an, an interesting, if you look at his like spray chart for his homers this year, they're like all to an identical spot, right? He knows mm-hmm. where his, you know, that his bread is butter in that regard, right. right? It's that, it's that little area down the left field line. Like they're all to the same spot. Um, or that, you know, the vast majority, whatever. And, mm-hmm. um, So he's shown the ability to slug a little bit more. But, you know, obviously we don't know what Nico would be looking for, you know, value-wise in terms of the dollars on on an extension like this. But given his age and the ability to be, now we know, right, an elite defender at multiple positions. So however you decide to proceed as an organization in terms of free agents or trades or things like that put Nico wherever you want, and you're going to have an elite defender, right? And the speed component, too. Right. So the the even if this added slug is not something that he can keep up, which there's really no indication that that's the case, right? Like, he's, he's going to be a, a somewhat valuable player simply because he's an elite defender, he's a good base runner, he's athletic, and he makes contact, right? So, I, like it's it it's very difficult for a player like that to be devoid of value so the floor yeah. for this is okay you know maybe the offense doesn't stick again there's not really any reason to believe that he's constantly made adjustments and got better in his time at the majors in terms of his overall offensive production but I I just think there's so little risk. This is one of those deals where it's just like you lock up a young player that you drafted, you developed, that is getting, as you just read, glowing reviews from like every manager or executive that he's played with or for. And like I said kind of at the beginning of this conversation, I was really excited to hear this from Jed, and I hope that this has real legs because I think that's the ideal way to start this new process, right? We just went through... Uh, a trade deadline, two trade deadlines. They didn't trade guys the second time, but the conversation was the same, right? Where you had these players, you did not extend them, and then the conversation switches to, okay, are we trading them? Should we get value for them? With Wilson now, it's what happens with the qualifying offer and in the offseason. So I think as we transition to this next group, right, I think a a really good faith way to start that is by extending one of your young players, guaranteeing that he's going to be here for longer, and using that to set the table for, again, like it, it becomes cliche at some point, but this is the phrase that they've coined. It sets the table for the next great Cubs team. I think it's a yeah. perfect way to like really kick off this process and hopefully, you know, 2023— in this off season, if you do extend Nico, then you go into twenty twenty three. Hopefully, have a moderately to big off season, right? And that, that this process is really off and running on a on a really really nice note. Yeah. Before I break here for a sponsor, the the last note on Nico: if
0: the extension possibility is six years, it buys out three years of his arbitration and then extends him three years post arbitration. If, for example, it is around 75 to 80 million, the annual average value of that extension would be about 12 to 13 million. To lock up a staple in the middle of the infield for three years at that price gives the team enormous flexibility, enormous flexibility to go out and get other guys, whether it be through the rotation or big time free agents, because that is a really cheap contract. And it's one, you can always move if you need to, if you want to think worst case scenario. And then the last point with Nico, I do believe there's a validation component to this. If you have, if people working in jobs, right, you want to be validated. You want to know that your process has worked. You don't want to have an uncertain mentality. So locking up Nico for six years, to me, kind of like turns off that uncertain switch in your mind and it may allow you to actually accelerate your progression as well. Some guys, they like having the the chip on their shoulder to prove people wrong. Some guys like having the certainty that what you're doing is valuable and you can actually get out of like your fearful mindset and continue to grow. So I think there's value just from promoting his development and seeing guys who are younger than Nico see his extension and they themselves get some type of validation for their own efforts and going through that process as well. We're going to talk about this throughout the offseason, I'm sure, so we'll leave it at that for now, but I do want to break here for a sponsor, PointsBet. PointsBet Sportsbook is counting down the days until the football season with a new offer every day until the season kicks off. From now until September 8th, PointsBet Power Hour will unlock a new daily offer from 12 to 1 p.m. Central. Sign up for PointsBet now using code CHGO to, get, to also get risk-free bets up to $2,000. Don't miss out on your chance to get daily access to free bets, boosted odds, and so much more now through September 8th. But that's not it. If you make a $50 or more first-time deposit, you'll receive a free CHGO membership, which unlocks all of our web content, and you'll even get a free shirt of your choice from the CHGO locker. Download the PointsBet app today and use code CHGO to take advantage of this limited time offer. Don't just bet, live your bet life with PointsBet. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem and wants to help, call 1-800-GAMBLER for crisis counseling and referral services. Our next partner has a product I use all the time. I started taking AG1 because I wanted to kickstart my day with complete nutrition. I wanted to avoid making big breakfast in the morning, something that's quick, easy to consume, and off I go throughout my day. Now I've been on AG1 for a few months and I absolutely love it. This does not taste really healthy, doesn't taste like chalky or something that I don't look forward to. I actually like the taste, kind of has a tropical like Skittle-esque taste to it that I look forward to each morning. So what is this stuff? In just one scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole sourced foods, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune health your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all of these things. I get a noticeable boost of energy in the morning, so I take it right away on an empty stomach. And it's lifestyle friendly. Whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, gluten-free, or dairy-free, you are all good to go with AG1. Know that you're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance for only three dollars or less per day. It's also recommended by professional athletes and now has more than 7,005 star reviews. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water. That's it every day. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit at athleticgreens.com backslash chgo cubs again that's athleticgreens.com backslash chgo cubs to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance
1: all right brendan so let's talk about a couple of guys who we might see this week so as i said our guy ryan herrera noted that there were uh, two folks in the Cubs clubhouse and seemingly that would indicate that they are going to make this trip to Toronto. Now, as we are recording this, again, you know, in the early evening on Sunday, uh, there are no official roster moves yet, but uh, again, Ryan noting that Jeremiah Estrada and Brendan Little were in the Cubs clubhouse after the game. That's a tough sentence for me to read. Cubs, clubhouse, and then Brendan and, you know, Brendan. Two Brendans, but he spells his name with an O. So, he's, he's supposed to do the improper way. Right. Much like Corey Abbott did. Uh, exactly. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is a Brendan with an A and a Corey with an e yeah. EY uh, podcast. So It is. Uh, so that is obviously interesting. Um, so we'll, whenever you're listening to this, the Cubs may have made official moves or announced exactly what this roster is going to look like for the, the way they have to maneuver this for the series in Toronto. Um, but... If these guys are indeed joining the team and going to make their debuts. There was an interesting tweet I saw from friend of the podcast, Brian Smith, uh, at Cub Prospects. He, of course, is the Cubs prospect expert for Bleacher Nation, and he pointed out that if these two get into games this week, the Cubs will become the only team in Major League Baseball to have their first seven selections in the 2017 draft, reach the big leagues uh so when you look back through the 2017 draft little of course was their first round pick um and then you know you kind of go through this list uh alex lang of course you know not making it with the cubs but did make it the aforementioned Corey abbott uh who did make it with the cubs but now we just saw him uh that was with washington i think and keegan thompson who is of course currently on the cubs and doing very well eric Yolman, currently on the cubs doing very well nelson velasquez currently on the cubs uh doing well to start his career um and then jeremiah estrada was number six so uh excuse me number seven so that's that's an accomplishment, right? We've obviously talked a lot about the Cubs drafting and development and stuff over the years. So that is certainly something that is noteworthy. Um, but looking at these guys, Brendan, uh, Brendan Little, uh, 4.15 ERA, uh, the, these guys both pitching in relief. So that's also something to uh, note. Uh, 4.15 ERA in 29 games in AAA this year, uh, but has been had really, really good uh, month of July and August. I believe a sub-2 ERA in both of those months after having a rough June, so he seems to be on the right track there the last couple months. And then Jeremiah Estrada has actually pitched in three levels this season, starting the year in high A at South Bend, pitching in Tennessee, and then recently getting the call up to A Iowa. 23 innings in South Bend, 19 and a third in Tennessee, and six so far, with the Iowa Cubs. All three levels, Brendan, a sub-2 ERA. 1.17 for South Bend, 1.86 for Tennessee, and did not give up an earned run in those six innings of work for the Iowa Cubs. So this is what we wanted to see, right? Get some some young guys up, get some guys some opportunities. What are you looking for? What are you excited about? What's the potential for Brendan Little and Jeremiah Estrada?
0: Estrada in particular, his stuff kind of screams back of the bullpen. He has a fastball that reaches towards the upper 90s. He has a slider that supposedly rates pretty well. We've seen the command uh, improve recently in Iowa. So I'm more excited about Estrada than I am about Little. Little's also interesting, too. He's had a weird, unorthodox route to making his debut. You might remember 2017 first rounder. There was some drama with drafting him in particular. He was a starter when he was drafted. He's gone through a lot of different adjustment phases. He had a stress fracture in his elbow. You have the COVID-shortened season. So many factors have contributed to this weird trajectory of him making his debut this upcoming week, Uh, supposedly, given that he's in the clubhouse. The cool thing about Little is that he does have uh, a fastball that that rates pretty well, supposedly, in the minors. I'm curious, once Little makes his debut, what the data looks like. Is he someone that's going to have, for example, an unorthodox release point? Is he someone that's going to rate well from a, a spin rate perspective? Are there little tweaks in his uh, repertoire that might suggest that he can be better? Is hotavi and Moskos going to work with him specifically in something? And that's also one of the reasons why he's up. So that's what kind of piques my interest with Estrada I, I he, he seems like someone who's just going to get tons and tons and tons of whiffs having a k per nine rate over 12 and a half in double a and having a k per nine rate just in six innings of like you know 18 per nine innings is really interesting. And when you combine those two guys with Manny Rodriguez coming back from his injury and then Yeoman, who's looking great with that low release point and that flat slider that's generating whiffs, you can see the Cubs bullpen once again next season ironing out to be a reliable, valuable commodity for this team. And the way you get there is seeing guys like Estrada and Little go through these processes right away and hopefully – the success is there and they can they can find ways to improve their game and take into the offseason that will just further their development and maybe Estrada by the time we talk next season it will be a September division chase and Estrada will be a back of the bullpen guy
1: yeah Estrada is someone I'm particularly intrigued to see uh so he is 23 years old. It'll be 24 on the 1st of November, almost the 2nd of November, Brendan, which would be cool because that's the date that the Cubs won the World Series. Won the World Series? I believe Series, in, yeah. in Chicago. Technically, it was November 3rd yeah, uh, on the East Coast um, in Cleveland where they won the World Series. Won the right, World Series. Right, in 2016. That was the Cubs. So yeah, um, the Cubs. that was a cheap one, but I, I'm into it. You got to do it. But. Like I'm looking at you know some of the stuff there. There's a lot of you know we we talk about you know I, I just mentioned Brian and and so many uh, good writers out there who cover the minor leagues. But but this tweet in particular caught my eye from Lance Brazdowski, um, who is you know kind of like you on steroids, I guess for Markey. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. Like not well, not physically, but like you know it's like if Markey had well, given Brendan a too. job like to do stats ripped, so. for their tv network um instead you're here talking to me so i know you know uh two 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 different paths (laughs) but uh (laughs) on august 5th when estrada was called up to triple a lance tweeted this Estrada is the best relief pitcher in the Cubs organization. Big stuff plus execution. He's got a wacky slider, lots of vertical with sweep, and a huge, in all capitals, huge fastball. So that's the type of thing that catches my eye right? Because Lance is like you, Brennan, digging into all these numbers, looking at stuff plus metrics, looking at the different pitch values, uh, the way pitches move, paying attention to, you know, the stuff that Daniel Moscos is doing and how they're designing all these pitches and things like that. So when he says that he is the best relief pitcher in the Cubs organization, right, you, you read that and then you look at the numbers and results that Estrada has been getting, it's, it's like, okay. I'm excited to see this guy, of course, as with any player, pitcher, position player, or otherwise, you always, you know, have to give some leeway to a guy coming into the majors, making adjustments, making his adrenaline-filled debut, things like that. But this is one of those guys that that hopefully is able to stick, um, you know, when rosters expand, however the Cubs decide to do all that, because he just—it's it, it's a very intriguing uh, set of— scouting reports data things like that and like you said you know if the Cubs can get into a position where they're able to identify some guys I think Brandon Hughes has certainly solidified himself as someone who is going to get sure yeah some uh you know high leverage opportunities and and be a part of that bullpen when the Cubs break camp in 2023 but like you know if you can use this last month to get some other guys some opportunities and kind of start that path for some more guys that'll be a, a very exciting use of time here.
0: Yeah, you look at what Little has done as well recently. During that COVID layoff, he developed a slider, according to Brian, and that slider kind of changed the trajectory of his career. Where apparently that pitch is going to rate well. So once he does make his debut, we can see that right away. The cool thing about stuff metrics is they stabilize almost like instantly, uh, relatively speaking compared to like other stats. So within a few outings, you know right away. Okay, this is a legitimate quality top tier slider. And that's my hope that, that that we see. Also, too, we're talking about the bullpen. Abra Alzalai's look great. He made his debut uh, back in AAA and struck out like the first six batters of the game. So he's another guy that you imagine will be up within the next few weeks here. So you add in Little, Estrada, Manny Rodriguez, Al-Zalai, uh Yeoman, Brandon Hughes. Those are six guys right there. And then if all goes well, the hope is that Cody Hoyer is back towards the, the end, perhaps. Of next season, and you have seven guys we're talking about. This is beyond even the additional pitchers they have in their system, and maybe some guys they target again during the off season. So the bullpen is still in good shape. That's the encouraging part about this. I, I think that we can go into the off season, and especially going into next season, with pretty high confidence that the bullpen is going to produce value in a way that's uh, projectable. That's that's my thinking at least.
1: Yeah. So uh, also, just as as we're doing this. Um, Just to add, obviously, you know, our guy Ryan Herrera reporting that he's seeing these guys physically, uh, but we do have a tweet here at 557 in Chicago from Jeremiah Estrada that says, quote, Dear Heavenly Father, we did it with uh, some, you know, excited emojis. So I'm, I'm going to take that as confirmation that he's being called up and he will be joining the team in Toronto this week. I think that uh, that's. A pretty I think fair... we can safely read it yeah. that way. Yeah. I
0: think you can. I think you can say that. Okay. Quick break here from our sponsor, points bet. If you enjoy CHGO, one way to help us continue to grow is to download the points bet app and use code CHGO when you sign up. Not only are you going to get two risk-free bets up to two thousand dollars, but if you make a fifty-dollar or more first-time deposit, you'll receive a free CHGO membership, which unlocks all of our web content, and you'll even get a free shirt of your choice from the CHGO Locker. If you have any questions, email points, at allchgo.com. We'll help you out. And in case in case you missed it, online signup is available in Illinois. You can actually download the PointsBet app right now and register your account from start to finish all from your phone. You'll be signing up with the Fastest Sportsbook, easier than ever, so you can start living your bet life in seconds. So what are you waiting for once the game starts? Don't just bet, live your bet life with PointsBet game. Promo Call 1-800-522-4700.
1: All right, Brendan, uh, let's talk about Seiya Suzuki right quick. Okay. Um, I just want to update on that. I know we've talked about him a lot, uh, but I-, I think it always wor- is worth revisiting because he's constantly making adjustments, right? Like things are always changing for him, and I think it's worth keeping an eye on. Um, and so Jordan Bastion of MLB.com had a, a nice tweet that I think kind of encapsulate this, encapsulates this with a, a good image from fan graphs comparing Sayah's, uh, 15, you know, his, his rolling weighted on base average and his swinging strike percentage. And, you know, naturally the two correlate with one another, uh, quite well, right? When one goes up, the other goes down. When the other goes up, the other goes down, right? and so jordan just said quote year of peaks and valleys for say a suzuki who is on an upswing again with a hit and two walks in the game on sunday he has a 326 batting average with a 426 on base and a 478 slugging slash line in his last 14 games david ross saying on suzuki quote that's just a rookie in this league trying to feel his way out i think the ups and downs have been really good for him So again, he had a really nice game on Sunday, Um, and then you look at his overall line on the year, he's at a 326 WOBA weighted on base average and a 109 WRC plus, but the thing that, that stands out, Brendan, is that that K rate is back down around 24%. Right. So that's what I was saying with the swinging strike percentage and the weighted on base average. There have been times throughout the year where his swinging strike percentage and his overall K rate has really risen, right? To, you know, alarming feels like a dramatic word, but in a small sample, an alarming number, right? but that mm. is what we've been talking about with him constantly making those adjustments so i think the fact that he has had those valleys in his production where he has struck out more he's been chasing more things like that the fact that his overall line right now has him uh, you know fairly comfortably as a, as an above league average hitter 10 home runs uh, I you know continue to think that this is a successful first season for Seiya. He's got a month to finish it out, and as I've said before, you'd like that to be a hot month and those numbers to be good. Uh, But I think when you look at these graphs and you look at the trajectory of his season, it's very clear that he has been pitched to in a variety of ways. He's had to adjust to those, and then on the way, he's taken some lumps, but he has so far, always found his way out.
0: And I think those adjustments will continue. I don't think the version that we're seeing of Seiya recently is the ultimate version. Within the last 55 player appearances, his contact rate is 85%. That's well above league average. And also not too far off from Nico's contact rate. So that's the type of tier that he's been in in the past two weeks, which is great. From my perspective, when I watch Seiya, there's been times throughout the season where he's messing with that stride, that leg kick they've talked about it too, where are trying to find the right timing mechanism. So when I watch Seiya, I'm I'm locked in to that stride and and that pre-pitch load, because that to me signals what he's trying to do differently. And there are still certain at-bats where I'm kind of getting the sense that he's not quite fully comfortable yet. Recently, he's looked a lot better and you can sense that comfort, but there's also a few instances where he's getting based hits to their right side that in my mind, I'm like, all right, like, you know, Seiya earlier on in the year was turning on those pitches for more power, but he's not missing pitches. That's what makes him so good. I think the next step for Seiya is to now take those pitches that he is getting those base hits off of and start turning on those balls more, hitting for more power. I do think that's going to come. He's a natural hit tool guy. He kind of has that same type of like natural Nico-esque uh, Contact ability and that approach and that discipline and he does not chase at many pitches at all, even going through really low value values as as a rookie. For me, I didn't want Nico uh, I didn't want Nico. I didn't want say it a crater when we first got him. That was my concern going to no spring training, uh, a new international free agent. The expectations are high. He's the first Cubs offensive big signing in some years. He's an above-average hitter, as you said, Corey. WRC plus of one ten. Weighted on base average around Nico's weighted on base average. Going through these adjustments, to me, that is like realistically what I wanted to see. And I think as September goes on, we may get Saeah continuing to improve. And then you go into the offseason, knowing, taking a deep breath, oh, like yeah, that was a good signing. There's a good reason to believe that Saeah is going to be a big part of this team for 2023 and beyond.
1: Yeah. So, again, you know, just something that I think we will continue to keep an eye on and monitor. But I I think right now things looking good, and hopefully, Saya can finish up strong. So, uh, before we get into that juicy rumor that I mentioned at the outset of the podcast, I do just want to talk about Justin Steele for one second. and just note, uh, you know, so I, I, after the game on Friday, I tweeted this out, uh, but Justin Seal has not given up more than three earned runs in a start since June 23rd, Brendan. Right? that's 10 starts. Now, a couple of those starts have been less than five innings, uh, one that was three and two thirds, one that was four and two thirds but the other eight, all at least five innings. And so something that we've talked about, and only one of those games was three earned runs. The rest are two or less. So we've talked about wanting more length and, you know, for guys to go deeper, but all things considered, man, like we'll see, you know, how he responds to the little bit of back stuff that he was dealing with and, you know, what the rest of this season looks like. Uh, We've broken him him down a ton. You know, you saw more walks in the game on Friday than you would have liked, but he limited the damage around them. I just think, you know, I, I just wanted to... Uh, note that particular stretch that he had been on because for me especially you know not knowing exactly where he might stand in a future rotation the fact that you have a homegrown guy that you gave this opportunity to going out there for months now and giving Mm -hmm. you winnable games right keeping the team in games for at least five innings every outing and often delivering quality starts. Uh, this has just been a stellar experiment for the Cubs. It has been. He was talking with, uh,
0: the broadcast, uh Boog and JD about his thought process and what he's done differently since that stretch you mentioned there, Corey. And he was talking about the fastballs. And one interesting tidbit he gave was the fact that he intentionally tries to cut his four-seamer down and into righties, which happened when Lester gave that suggestion to Ross saying, hey, go down and into righties with your fastball. But what also caught my eye in that little tiny interview in the broadcast was that he goes up and away to right-handed batters. And we we talked about this a few weeks ago where he is not going more so up and in to righties, but there appears to be more of a an intention to go up and away, which I found interesting given that for many pitchers they try to go up and in with their fastballs. I I like that. I think uh I'll dig into to more of that and seeing how that plays. But I thought that was interesting given that it's basically mirroring what we've seen Justin do. And that signals to me that the intention and the command is spot on. Like he's not going up and away and missing the spot. He is trying to do that. And he also has suggested he's getting more comfortable with that breaking pitch and kind of messing with a few things throughout his, of course, career, but more recently compared to the early part of the season. And he's locked in and he feels great. And to have those numbers with a two-pitch repertoire, I... (laughs) I was skeptical, right? Because the contact rate was not there. But since that stretch, his contact rate, rather his whiff rate, it's almost 25%. That's that's top notch. That's well above league average as a two-pitch guy. So maybe, you know, you want three pitches. He's going to work on his changeup. But maybe you can still survive with those two pitches um, if those two pitches are high quality. And right now, it appears as if that's going towards that direction that he's having two
1: really high-quality pitches. Moving on, we'll finish here before we preview this upcoming series uh, with, you know, look, as I said, I was minding my own business on Sunday afternoon, having a nice coffee, just going about my day, watching the Cubs lose that last game to the Brewers, and John Morosi was on with Parkins and Spiegel on the score, and he dropped this, Brendan, which, uh, you know, uh, was just something that, like, I'm I'm obviously interested and I'm very intrigued. Did I need it though right now when nothing is going to happen until the offseason? That's a separate question. Uh, but he was talking about Shohei Otani and he said this. So remember that Artie Moreno uh, is believed to be exploring selling the Los Angeles Angels. They're obviously, in, you know, they're just a dumpster fire of an organization, even with Otani and Mike Trout. Uh, and so, on Friday afternoon, but this is when the the quotes surfaced on Sunday, right? So he was on the show on, on Friday, but Cubs Twitter wasn't talking about it until Sunday. So it, it came up on Sunday and he said, quote, remember where the Cubs finished in the derby to get Otani at the beginning. My understanding was they were a pretty compelling place. They put together a pretty good sales pitch. Theo Epstein was still with the Cubs, obviously, at that point in time. My understanding is the Cubs were impressive to Shohei's camp. So it wouldn't surprise me if Shohei were to be traded to the Cubs. And you look around, and this is, to me, a compelling time to join the Cubs. They're going to get better. They've already been pretty good through the last couple months. There are better days ahead for the Cubs. And I think if Otani were to come to Chicago and look around, I feel better about the Cubs' next five years than I do the Angels' next five years. So look, (laughs) right? A lot of moving pieces here. Otani's 28. He's got one more year of control. So there is a ton to discuss here. But the mere suggestion and and phrasing by Morosi that it wouldn't surprise him, to see Otani traded to the Cubs, sent many of us, you and I included, and uh, I also saw our good friend Cody Del Mendo tweeting about this, uh, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're ready to be heard again by this. Uh, I'm all in on this, even if this is just a cursory rumor. Um your, your initial thoughts uh, he's one of the best <laughs> <laughs> one of the best players of all time is
0: my initial are thought. you
1: interested <laughs> in one of the best players we've ever seen I, I, I is that I, something that is interesting to you?
0: i I you know it does pique my interest Corey, oh, okay. uh this is just just a little bit my my thinking is, all right, well, how do you make sure he 's never going to be on a different team ever again so i'm i'm automatically thinking the trade's going to happen now, like how can we extend him like that's that's where my mind is going. If you make this trade, you have to extend them because right. you 're imagining you 're going to give up like some immediate majorly talent, maybe that 's like Justin Steele or one of these uh younger pitchers who have. Lotted significant innings for the Cubs this year, then a pretty big prospect haul. You're thinking like a you're thinking Canario, you're thinking uh, Trianto, like those guys, right? So the idea is you're trading for Otani to compete in 2023, but also using that time, that year plus time. To get that extension done, that <laughs> extension has to be done. Uh, so if they get them, man, I'm just thinking of all like the content we're gonna see with Otani and and Seiya, and I'm sure Cubs owners are thinking about the amount of content they can produce in like the Japanese media markets and the money they can make off of that. And I'm thinking even long term, one of my favorite players of all time, Yu Darvish, once he's a free agent for 2024, bring him back, man. And then you're basically making you know the entire country of Japan to diehard Cubs fans at that point. So that's that's going to be fun. Um, I guess it's going to be fun. It's going to be stressful. Hopefully, it's one of those situations where it's not a long drawn out process where we're kind of always left on the hook with if this deal is going to get done or not. But I am extremely interested. I think it makes a ton of sense. I mean, why wouldn't it make a ton of sense? And I believe the Cubs have the prospects and the talent pool to do it. Uh, and They're trying to sell the team the Angels are. He's got one year left. Maybe it's not outrageous as you might expect a deal to be.
1: Yeah, I mean, as you said, this isn't a deal you make unless you're extending him. It just doesn't make sense otherwise, right? Like the Cubs aren't in a position where they are Shohei away from winning the World Series in twenty twenty three. Now, I suppose you could make a deal like this in the offseason and just go crazy making other moves, but I, I I'm not sure how we would end up in a place where they're selling out for twenty twenty three, right? So to me, this isn't a move you're making or even considering unless you have pretty much a, a sure conviction that you're extending him long-term and making Otani kind of a, a the cornerstone piece of your franchise. Um, but, you know, if you can pull it off and you can extend him, it's a, it's a no-brainer. I mean, the guy is a multiple-win player on two separate sides of the game, Brendan. Like it, I mean, it, it, it's it's no question. Like the like yeah. looking at his fan graphs page, he's a four win pitcher. He's a two and a half win hitter. <laughs> like, yeah. and he's
0: made improvements this year. I was look. Of course, I'm going to look into it. But uh, the his season this year offensively, like you can argue that it's actually like better, and that he's making more contact. And that the age profiles better now than it did last year because of that so i'm even more interested in this version of otani right now than the previous version who was striking out way more although you hit more homers I, like I, this is this is the best player we've ever seen man yeah. he's gonna put up like eight war eight you
1: know if you can do sides. it you have to do it the price would be you gotta immense, do it but if this is even something that you can explore right you have no, no to, we don't
0: explore you go and you you get him yeah don't explore, just do it just and it one done. and you already yeah. alluded
1: to this but like this is a no-brainer from a, a business perspective right like we complain a lot about cubs ownership and ju- justifiably so we complain a lot about some of the business decisions they make and justifiably so this is you're, you're printing money at this point i mean they must it's, know it's, this
0: it's quantity of impressions, right? Like, you know, marquee's been down 25% from, from last year. Those are the numbers. You boost your impressions of your content exponentially when you go into a different market. So, of course, this has got to be an ownership Well, spine. and, you know, not, not only
1: just considering that you would have multiple, you know, really big names in the Japanese market that fans would obviously want to stay connected to, but like... We always talk about, like, it's a shame that Shohei and, and Mike Trout are playing in Anaheim because— You're right. Let's bring Mike Trout over they too. They don't—well, yeah, great. <laughs> they, they don't get the exposure that they should, right? Like, regardless of their impact in their home country, right? Like, that's a no-brainer. But Shohei needs a bigger stage just in, like, the Major League Baseball platform, right? Like he's playing on a team that just does not have that national attention even here in the States, right? So getting him to a place like the Cubs, from a business perspective, this is a a no-brainer. From a roster construction perspective, some of the prospects and players you would have to give up would, you know, be tough to give up. But if you're able to make a deal like this, knowing that you can extend him long term, you know he's twenty eight years old. you're getting a once in a lifetime player for potentially years like it it's a no brainer and yeah yes. I mean you know look this is like a maybe even for morosi a throwaway comment on a Chicago radio station. I don't even know how convicted he was in even saying that, but i'm I am definitely. <laughs> I'm definitely all in uh and I have mentally committed to this, which I may You're is a probably a mistake, it's but a you know, idea. that's how we are. I know we can't help it.
0: Okay, so let's preview this upcoming series against the Toronto Blue Jays. In Toronto, first game Monday evening, six oh seven PM start time. We have Assad back on the mound for the Cubs, his second career start. He'll be facing Barrios for Toronto. He is nine of five with a five point two eight ERA on Tuesday. We have another 6:07 p.m. Central Start Time. This one is going to hurt me. Uh, Gossman's pitching for the Blue Jays. Uh, I. I've always liked Gossman. I wanted the Cubs to sign him. He's of course not in the Cubs, but Strowman is, and Strowman will be facing Gossman that game. Strowman is three and six with a four point one ERA. Gossman is 9-9 with a 3.15 ERA on the season. Wednesday to finish off his three game set. The Cubs have not announced a starter yet for this finale. Toronto will be facing or uh will be pitching White. He is 1-4 with a 4.24 ERA. That game also starts at 6.07 PM. Uh, will be fun going to Toronto. I think the last time they were there in my memory, which is, of course, not accurate, but the last time I remember watching them in Toronto was like 2008. I'm sure they've been back there since, but uh, it's one of those weird broadcasts where I'm not familiar watching a team in that type of stadium. So I I always like that. It's like novel to me. Uh, What I'm looking for this series specifically is watching Assad. I thought he was extremely interesting in his debut start. He threw three sliders that were classified well above league average from a stuff plus perspective, but three pitches could be small sample size. I want to see more of those. I also want to see what his repertoire looks like maybe in a, a, a deeper effort like five plus innings maybe he's not this like heavy cutter fastball guy although he probably is uh so i'll be dialing in to that and then seeing how they utilize wilson contreras we haven't talked about him but the numbers with the ankle injury all combined over the past you know six seven weeks maybe a little bit down so maybe they continue to rest him jan Gomes did get time today wilson was back on the bench in the finale uh, against Milwaukee, so I'll be dialed into that as well, and then the bullpen. So, how does Little look if he is indeed called up? We do know with a high degree of confidence that we have Jeremiah Estrada up, so that will be fun to see how Ross uses him. And then Ron Wick has been a hit or a miss. You want to see Ron Wick start to stabilize here in the month of uh, September. So that's it for me.
1: Yeah, I think that is a a good rundown. Obviously, I'm I'm really looking forward to you know seeing uh, if these new guys get in action. You know, we talked about Estrada in particular, it just seems like a, a really intriguing piece. Um, and, you know, it's always just good, as we talked about a lot, to continue graduating these guys to the majors, giving them opportunities. You see how much it means to so many of these guys. And obviously, right, it's, it's their ultimate goal. Um, and, you know, just the, the Cubs, they dropped this series against the Brewers, but they have continued to play pretty well, I think, generally. Um, and, you know, we didn't talk about it specifically when I was reading those quotes about, you know, from Morosi about Otani, but he also mentioned too, like the Cubs playing well, and we've been looking back at, at Nico's comments about how important that is and how it affects the trajectory of things. Jed talked about it. Like they do drop this series and the game on Saturday ended up being a laugher, but it was close when Drew Smiley was in the game for six innings. They win a tight, you know, competitive game on Friday against a team fighting for its playoff life, right? The Cubs don't have anything to play for. The Brewers had everything to play for And they win the game on Friday and they, you know, tried to mount a comeback on Sunday. So, of course, all of this is just, you know, Uh, consolation prizes at this point but again we want to see these guys continue to do well we want to see these young guys continue to do well so many of them are going to be a part of whatever this foundation looks like for next year's team and the teams beyond so them playing well and these guys getting opportunities and succeeding learning making adjustments it's all very important so it's going to be an interesting last month Um, and I, you know, I think that is what we have for you. Uh, so tomorrow, uh, Luke and Cody and Ryan will have Cubs post game for you, so don't miss that. Brendan and I will be back with you when the Cubs finish up this series in Toronto. As always, we appreciate your support of CHGO. Of course, the best way to do that is using the code CHGO when you sign up at PointsBet. We thank you for your support of the CHGO Cubs podcast. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you again soon, and as always, go Cubs!